0: to open your Bibles tonight to Proverbs chapter 27, Proverbs chapter 27. Again, I think uh, pastor uh, is trust in giving me this opportunity to, uh, to preach all day long. He thought it'd be good for me uh, to handle the services for the day, so I thank him for that to be able to try to hone my skills and uh, uh, develop a, a, as a preacher of God's word. Uh, but also, as we look at this message tonight, I'd like to give a shout out of thanks to uh, my father in law, uh, who very early on in my uh, uh, walk with Christ uh, uh, pointed out uh, some strategies to Bible reading that have been a help to me over the years, uh, mainly that, uh, you know, there's 31 chapters in Proverbs and Proverbs is such a practical book to everyday living that we should take one chapter a day and read over it. And so you read through the book of Proverbs 12 times a year. And I will tell you, that's been a blessing to me as a husband, uh, as a father, uh, as a steward of God's uh, resources. Uh, There's just so much in there, uh, uh, warnings, uh, things to look out for. And I would encourage you in your Bible reading. I don't know what your schedule is. uh, Most churches uh, encourage you to read through the Bible an entire year, and I would encourage you to do that. But I would say to to make Proverbs uh, part of your daily spiritual diet, uh, be a great blessing to you. We're going to look at just one verse here this morning, very, or this morning, this evening, a very, uh, very interesting verse. Uh, again, I, I've been saved for uh, going on or just past uh, 28 years uh, this past October. And so I've read through Proverbs probably close to that many times because of early on that my father-in-law instructed me or encouraged me to do that. And uh, every time I pass by this verse, my mind's kind of stopped. You know, it's piqued my interest. You know, what, what, what are the what's the full meaning and application of that verse? And uh, this year, especially, I, I don't know what was going on in my life at the time. Uh, uh, but one of the times as I read through that, it just like jumped out at me. And uh, uh, all through the, the remainder of the year, I've been just kind of sitting there as you as, as we say, you know, meditating, chewing on that verse, uh, thinking about it, uh, uh, trying to squeeze out all that I can, all the meaning uh, that's there in that verse, and, and so I, it's that uh, thinking, uh, study behind that. I want to present to you tonight. I hope it'll be a, a blessing to you. But Proverbs chapter twenty-seven. Uh, look with me, if you will, at verse seven. Uh, the Bible says, "The full soul loatheth and honeycomb, but to the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet." The full soul loatheth and honeycomb, but to the hungry. So every bitter thing is sweet. Let's pray. Uh, Dearly, Father, Lord God, I do thank you, Father, for this day, Lord. Uh, once again, Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to uh, uh to in the pulpit uh, absence of Pastor Bishop. Um, Father, I pray that you help me tonight, Lord God. Father, uh, order my thoughts, Lord, as I, I bring this message. Uh, uh, Father, Lord, uh, I, I want to be a help to your people once again, Lord. But more importantly, Father, I want to glorify you, Lord. I, I want to say the the things that you have me to say and light on the things that you have me to light upon. Uh, that it might be an encouragement, a blessing to each and every one of us. Uh, Father, help us tonight. Father, may our hearts be uh, tender and sensitive to your word. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's interesting, as as you read through this chapter, chapter 27, it seems like the majority of the verses don't go to, don't, you know, don't fit together. They're kind of like individual thoughts as you go through that. And uh, as I was studying that and, and trying to, you know, delve deeper into the meaning of this verse, Uh, my eye shot to the top of my Bible. And I don't know about your Bible, but my Bible kind of gives an introduction, if you will, uh, uh, to the theme and and what's going on in those passages. And at the top, it says maxims and observations of Solomon, uh, Solomon collected by the men of King Hezekiah. And so that's what this is. It's uh, uh, several maxims and observations from the wisest man who ever lived. Uh, that, that Hezekiah's been copied out and is contained here uh, in this chapter. And they are essentially warnings and advice for those who wish to be wise, uh, as Solomon was. And so with just uh, and as, I, as I looked at this verse, uh, just as you'll find with any verse, there, there's only one meaning behind it. There's only one real interpretation behind that verse. But there's many ways that you can apply it. And uh, soon as, as I was studying it, uh, I... I, I, I And I'll share with you here in a few moments what I gleaned out of it just initially, uh, just right off the top as I I looked at it. And I I thought about what other other great theologians and commentators, what do they have to say about this verse? And I was kind of surprised uh, that none seemed to light upon my thoughts. I was like, well, that's interesting. Uh, The Holy Spirit showed me something and they seem to kind of go in a different direction with this. though they are all are, I I would agree, kind of similar and they all are are applicable. They're true. Uh, For example, some have commented on this verse focusing on material wealth. Uh, looking at the rich, uh, the 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 full being the rich, the full so loatheth in honeycomb. That is, they 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 loathe uh, even the, the simplest things in life. Now you know now they 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 want and mignon, they want lobster, they want you know uh, uh, a Maserati. You know they don't want to drive a Ford anymore, and they don't want to have casserole, and and so they've moved on. Uh, but the but the the, the the poor folk, all right, the the, the those that are hungry. Uh, they don't have that. And so anything that they get is sweet to them. Anything that that, that they receive is a blessing It is, is sweet. And so that, that's one way you could look at it. Uh, others have taken a spiritual approach, alluding that the rich are those who are lost, yet are full of themselves or the things of the world. And I, I can see that as well. Uh, they're so full of. Uh, and if you've ever been so winning, you see this. You go, you, you go to a rich neighborhood and knock on their door and they, it's almost like they're like, oh, you poor dear fellow. Uh, Let me explain to you my situation. Do you see the five cars I have in the the garage and, you know, this big mansion? Uh, What could you possibly have to offer to me? Not not every, not all of them, but uh, but many of them kind of have that haughty attitude where you go to a poor neighborhood and you open the gospel to them and and they they want to hear. Uh, They might not receive Christ at that moment, but they're hungry for what you have to offer them. And so I can see that as well. the, The rich here are those who are lost and yet are full of themselves. And then they look at the other side of that verse, but to the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. And they look at these as those of us who are saved, we're we're, we're poor, uh, but we've embraced the gospel with all of its bitter hardships. Uh, We're not enjoying the things like the rich man did. We're more like Lazarus. And we're embracing the gospel with all its bitter hardships. And, and there are hardships. Uh, as Jesus said, you will uh, suffer tribulation if you live for him. Uh, it's not going to be an easy road. Uh, uh, you, you know, you're going to have to take a stand for Christ. Not everybody's going to like that. Uh, even within your own family, people are going to uh, rebuff you, reject you, not want to hear it. And so I can see that as well. But for me, as I looked upon it, I, and I'm, I guess, more of a simple guy, I... <laughs> Uh, one of the, one of the, the my teachers when I was in Bible college uh, uh, said to me one of my problems was I wasn't uh, I wasn't uh, I didn't think critically enough because uh, to me I, I just you know so I, I had to work on you know digging deeper you know trying to mine out uh, a, a deeper uh, truths and those things that we were looking at and I, I guess that's just the way I am but as I looked at it I look at the fact that. The full So, if you're thinking about a physical thing, and that's why I believe Solomon is observing here. He's he's observing a physical phenomenon and, going to, and we're going to make a spiritual application of that. But when you're really full, you don't want anything else. Now, I'm a sweets guy. I love sweets. But, uh, you know, when it comes time for Thanksgiving... And uh, you, you go around, you, you, you want to try a little bit of everything. I, I remember growing up, it doesn't happen as much now. It, it, it still does happen on occasion. But growing up, especially when I was young, you know, we, we'd all go to grandma's house. Uh, my aunts and uncles would all be there. We'd congregate there. And it'd be a huge spread. I mean, you'd have turkey and ham and every side dish you can imagine. Fresh rolls that grandma would make and all the desserts. And so you go around and try a little bit of everything or maybe a little bit more of, of something. But anyway, when you're done with that plate... And I love chocolate pie. So grandma always seemed to have a chocolate pie on hand for me to eat. But when I was finished with that plate, uh, I didn't want to just rush in there and grab that, that chocolate pie. Because if I knew I put that down, down my throat, there was going to be an adverse reaction. Uh, I had to take some time. My, my soul was full and I was loathing that, that, that sweet thing. Uh, but, to the, but to the hungry person, even the bitterest thing is sweet. And, and we can see that maybe in a survival situation. Uh, being in the military, uh, they... Uh, Uh, taught us to be able to survive in those situations. I remember I was uh, when I first uh, I I served two times in an aviation regiment. And the very first time that I went there, I remember going through uh, that type of survival training that, hey, if your aircraft were to go down, you need to be able to survive until we can come and rescue you or whatever the case may be. And so you have a survival kit on board the aircraft and it's got it's got like these cornflake. I think it's, it's basically that's what it is. It's cornflakes that they've stuck together with something into this bar and it's really a nasty tasting but i guess if you're hungry enough you eat that thing and then you have cans cans or bags of water (laughs) to drink you know because you might not have a water source readily available and that was awful as well but you have something to survive but but i can imagine if that helicopter crashed over a course of time uh, that that cornflake bar and that can of water would look very good to me Uh, In fact, uh, within that, uh, within that survival kit, uh, you had some fishing string and fish hooks and things to make uh, traps and things with. And I I remember one of the the years we were going through the survival stuff and uh, they had a a fish out there. You know, maybe you catch a fish and teach how you clean that thing. Some guys, you know, they grew up in the city and how to clean a fish, how to clean that fish. They had a rabbit there. And so they go through talking about how you set the trap and catch this thing and then eat it. And I remember the the, the one guy he was teaching said, uh, and so when you're eating the rabbit, you want to make sure that you eat his eyeball. And I like, ooh, the eyeball, I don't know if I have any part of that. But then he explained, I mean, there's saline in the rabbit's eye and you need a certain amount of salt. And if you're in a survival situation, you're sweating, uh, all that salt's going out, you need some way to replenish that. So th- they recommend you eat the eyeball along with the rabbit, which, uh, again, you'd have to really be in a survival situation. because I'm not looking to have, you know, rabbit eyeball stew or anything like that anytime soon. Uh, but but that, that's what as I looked at that verse, that's what it's speaking to me. Uh, just that which is on the surface and, and, and in order for me to get a, a deeper meaning, I thought, well, I got to look at the the primary words uh, that, that are in here, especially that first part, because I think that first part is speaking on the spiritual side to, to, to me. The full are those who are saved. Uh, you, you're full. You're, you've, you've tasted Jesus Christ. You have salvation. Uh, you have a certain amount of filling. But if we're not careful, uh, we can get to the point where. We don't want any more of what God has to offer. We're saved and we're like, okay, I'm, I'm good right there where I'm at. I don't, I don't want to grow anymore. And so I'm full and I, 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 I loathe any more of the honeycomb. And I think uh, for me, as I look at that, there's a danger. It's, it's speaking to here of a danger of spiritual apathy. That we could get to the point in, in our Christian walk where, Lord, I'm full. I, I don't want any more. I, I don't want to go any further. I don't want to grow anymore. And so, again, I had to look at these primary words that help break this down for me and, and hopefully be a, a blessing uh, to you. The, the three words that I picked out looking at that first part of the verse, because the second part to me is, is, is the unsaved. Uh, I look at that, and I say, but to the hungry soul, those who haven't tasted Jesus Christ, those who haven't uh, received salvation, every bitter thing is sweet. And to me, that's so readily visible in the world in which you live today. I mean, you can see it in people's lives. It's visible. I mean, they, they mutilate their bodies and they're doing all kinds of uh, different lifestyles. Uh, they're accepting all kinds of crazy things. Cause they're looking for something to satisfy a spiritual hunger. And so every bitter thing to them is sweet. And they're trying anything they can to try to satisfy that hunger they, they have. But really, the only thing that's going to satisfy that hunger is a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, a personal relationship with him. And so for me, I had to break down because uh, I, I knew I was going to bring this uh, this evening. And most times in a A Sunday evening uh, message. Uh, Most of the people that are listening in Zoom or here uh, uh, presently attending are safe folk. Uh, I had to break down some words to help us understand this. So the three words that I looked at to uh, delve into a little bit more were the words full "loath," and honeycomb to to help make a spiritual application of uh, the truth. I believe that's being highlighted in this verse. And and again, the the truth, I think, is being highlighted that is that there's a danger of spiritual apathy specifically as it pertains to the word of God. Now, the word full, if you look that up, needs to be saturated, sated, to have the appetite satisfied. Uh, If you're filling a bottle, to have that bottle as full as possible. But again, as I said before, I think it also can mean that you get to the point where you're full and you want no more. I mean, you're not full up like you can't take anymore, but you don't want any more. You don't want any more. And I'll kind of share that with you with a personal example. My mother tells me uh, that growing up, I loved liver and onions. Uh, That was like my favorite dish. But I'll tell you right now, if you invite me over to your house and you offer liver and onions, uh, very quickly, I'm going to be full. Uh, I'll eat one piece out of courtesy for your hard work and what you provided. But I'm not going to want to sit down and gobble down like three or four pieces of liver and onions anymore. Uh, That is not a favorite thing with me. That does not appeal to me. I don't find that appetizing. And so I would say, Mm, I'm good. Thank you. I am full. Let's move on to the next course. So full, being saturated, sated, but also having all that one desires. And I think we can get to that point in our spiritual life with the word of God. Loathe. Uh, Interesting here that the Hebrew word that that is used to, that is translated into this English word loathe. And it's right here in my Bible. I don't know if your your Bible has it, but right there in the center, it says that it, it literally means to tread or trample underfoot. Is what that Hebrew mean, the Hebrew word uh, that 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 means loath when it's translated in English, Uh, it it means to tread or trample underfoot. But the word loath uh, is a very interesting It's a very complex word I found. I thought it'd just be an easy word, but you get in the Webster's Dictionary, it's got different spellings and different meanings depending how you use it. But the the meaning I believe that they're using here and, and going back to that Hebrew word to tread or trample underfoot, the word loath is hating, detesting disliking to feel this, this to feel disgust at anything to properly have an extreme aversion of the appetite to food or drink. Yeah, when you're full, you're going to have an extreme uh, aversion to that to nauseate all encompasses in that that meaning of that word loathe. And for the person who thinks or or gets to that point where that's all I want, that's how they look at the things of God that they don't want anymore. Uh, they, they don't want to grow anymore. They, they want to, they're fine right where they're at. they're full and that's a danger. And then the third one was a honeycomb. And, uh, it's kind of interesting. There's a, there's a textbook different definition. Uh, apparently honeycomb is still a, a very popular thing to eat around the world. Now I've eaten honey. I'm sure all of you have tasted honey. Honey is a natural sweetener. It's very good for you. But apparently the honeycomb, if you eat it in its natural state, is even better for you. And I assume that's just much like eating raw vegetables. If you can it or cook it, some of the nutrients go out. If you eat it raw, you're going to get more of a benefit. And so if you eat a honeycomb, you get more of a benefit eating it in its natural state. But a honeycomb, by definition, is a mass of hexagonal prismatic cells in which bees store honey, is the textbook definition. And you've all seen seen one of those. And the honeycomb, if you eat it, not only offers natural sweetness, but it also contains antioxidants that are believed to boost your immune system and reduce inflammation. It has antibacterial properties that can also help you fight off infection. So as I thought about this, uh, these words full loath, and honeycomb I, I focus really in on the honeycomb because, again, I believe what this is, is speaking to us here is there's a danger that we can get to the point where we full, we're, we, we're full, we're full, we don't want to take in anymore and we begin to loathe what God has to, has to offer and that's the word of God. And so I think the honeycomb here speaks to the word of God and it is a very good picture of the word of God. As Psalm 1910 says, more to be desired, speaking of God's judgment says more to be desired are they than gold Yea, then much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. And if you've tasted of God's word, it it, it is the most pleasing, satisfying, sweet thing you'll ever taste. I I remember the the moment I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Uh, That was the the sweetest moment in my life to know that my sins were forgiven and that heaven was my home. And as I continue to grow in God's word, it's been very sweet, satisfying, pleasing to me. Uh, Proverbs 16, 24 says pleasant words are as in honeycomb. Sweet to the soul and health to the bones. Now, that could be any pleasant words. But what words are more pleasant than those you'll find in God's word? I I would challenge you that there are none. I I can share some pleasant words with you, but they're not more pleasant than what's contained in this book. Even though some of the things are hard. And after I got saved, there were some hard decisions to make. As I read God's word and God said, "Uh, I I, I need you to change that in your life. I want you to change that in your life. Uh, It wasn't a very easy thing to give up my friends and uh, passions and things I, I had. And you probably went through a similar experience. But in the end, the result was sweet. The, the, the result was a blessing. And so with these thoughts in mind, I think the Bible gives us a parallel to this principle where we can kind of expand it, if you will. Uh, it gives us a parallel to the pr- the principle presented here in Proverbs 27, 7. Uh, you don't have to hold your place here. Uh, it's a very simple verse. We can uh, remember it. But if you turn, turn with me to the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 21 And I think there's a a, a very clear illustration and parallel here that shows how a full soul can loathe and honeycomb. Something that's that's satisfying, nutritious, beneficial. But you can get to the point where you'll you'll say, I I don't want any more of that if you're not careful. You need to maintain an appetite for that good thing. Uh, Numbers chapter 21, if you uh, uh, read with me, verses 4 through 6, notice what happened here. Uh, with the children of Israel. And many times, uh, I don't know about you, but I look at the children of Israel and I think, and they'd be like some of the dumbest people on, on earth. I mean, but, but you and I are here. <laughs> if you're honest with yourself, we are in much the same way as the children of Israel. The same desires, the same appetites, the same uh, hang ups, the same struggle with, with sin. But, but we, we go back and we read it and like, how dense can you people be? But but uh, aren't we the same way? But tro- uh, Proverbs uh, 21, starting in verse four, it says, and a journey from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to, to compass the land of Eden and the, and the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way they became discouraged. And how discouraged did they become? Notice verse five. And the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore, have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Notice what they said here. For there is no bread. <laughs> neither is there any water now if you if you read about their journey god time and again provided bread and water and in fact at this moment we're still providing bread because notice what they say at the end it says and our soul loatheth this light bread and what was that light bread well the light bread was none other than the, the, that man had given the, the manna that god had given them to feed upon in the wilderness and 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 they got to the point where they're like and, and no doubt if god provided that for you wouldn't you think that would be beneficial It'd be sufficient to, to nourish you and to strengthen you. Uh, God wouldn't give you something bad. And so whatever, what He gave me here, whatever that manna was, because it doesn't exist anymore, as some will contend it does, it's some resin that some insect leaves, you know, leaves behind in a leaf. But no, it was a miracle of God. It came down from heaven. And it doesn't exist anymore. But whatever it was, it, it, it satisfied a, 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 a physical hunger. But they got to the point where they said, We loathe this light bread. We don't want it anymore. And there was a result of their discouragement. There is a result of them speaking against God. We see that in verse six. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people and much people of Israel died. And so we, I I think here we can see that parallel. Just we see in in Proverbs 27, seven. The full soul loatheth in honeycomb. These people said, and our soul loatheth this light bread, the manna that God had given them. Again, bread that God had rained down to them from heaven. Uh, The the Bible uh, calls it angels food. God provided it for their physical sustenance. And the psalmist in Psalm 78 verses 24 and 25 says this, says, And God had rained down manna upon them to eat, because they're recounting the blessings of the children of Israel, and had given them of the corn of heaven. Man did eat angels food. He sent them meat to the full. God provided in a miraculous and a wonderful way what they needed. But they got to the point after 40 years and they said, yeah, I don't want that anymore. Uh, God, uh, thank you for providing, but we've had enough. We don't want any more of that which you provide. And so there's a danger in that. And so I'd like us to turn to Exodus 16 and look more at this manna that God had provided. The Bible provides a description of the manna uh, and uh, rules behind it, the gathering of it, uh, how it was to be consumed, and all these different things and in Exodus chapter 16, verses 1 through 32. And I'd like to read that. I think it'll be a help and a blessing to us tonight. Exodus 16, verses 1 through 32, to look back where God introduced the man unto the children of Israel. And notice again where we find them. Chapter 16, the Bible says, And they took their journey from Elam, and all the, ch- all the congregation of the children of Israel came unto the wilderness of sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after their, de- their departing out of the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said unto them, which to God, we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots and when we, when we did eat bread to the full. For you have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Here we see them again. They're murmuring. They're complaining. Uh, they just spent over 400 years in bondage. God delivered them and, and now they're complaining thinking that God can't supply their physical need, not waiting upon the Lord. They're, they're speaking against Moses. Verse four. The Lord speaks. He says, then said the Lord unto Moses, behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day. Notice this, that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or no. And it shall come to pass that on the sixth day. They shall prepare that which they bring in. And it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. And Moses and Aaron said unto all the children of Israel, at even then, you shall know that the Lord hath brought you out from the land of Egypt. And in the morning, then you shall see the glory of the Lord for that he hears your murmurings against the Lord. And what are we that ye murmur against us? And Moses said, this shall be when the Lord shall give you in the evening flesh to eat and in the morning bread to the full for that the Lord heareth your murmurings, which ye murmur against him. And what are we? Your murmurings are not against us, but against the Lord. He was right on Uh, verse nine. And Moses spake unto Aaron, say unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he hath heard your murmurings. And it came to pass, as Aaron spake unto the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel speak unto them, saying, At even ye shall eat flesh, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and ye shall know that I am the Lord your God. And it came to pass that at even the quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning the dew lay round about the host. And when the dew that lay was gone up, behold, upon the face of the wilderness, there lay a small round thing as small as the hoarfrost on the ground. And when the children of Israel saw it, they said one to another, it is manna, for they wist not what it was. And Moses said unto them, this is the bread which the Lord hath given you to eat. This is the thing which the Lord hath commanded. Gather of it every man according to his eating and omer for every man according to the number of your persons. Take ye every man for them which are in his tents. And the children of Israel did so and gathered some more, some less. And when they did meet it out with an omer, he that gathered much had nothing over. And he that, ga- had, he that gathered little had no lack. They gathered every man according to his eating. And Moses said, let no man leave of it till the morning. Notwithstanding, they hearkened not unto Moses. But some of them left of it until the morning and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was wroth with them. And they ga- gathered it every morning, every man according to his eating. And when the sun waxed hot, it melted. And it came to pass that on the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for one man. And all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. And he said unto them, This is that which the Lord has said. Tomorrow is the rest of the holy Sabbath unto the Lord. Bake that which you will today and see that see that you will see. And that which remaineth over lay up for you to be kept until the morning. And they laid it up till the morning, until the morning as Moses bade. And it did not stink, neither was there any worm therein. And Moses said, eat that today, for today is a Sabbath unto the Lord. Today, you shall not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it. But on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath in it, there shall be none. And it came to pass that there went out some of the people on the seventh day for to gather. And they found none. And the Lord said unto Moses, how long refuse ye to keep my commandments and my laws? See, for that the Lord hath given you the Sabbath. Therefore, he, h- he giveth you on the sixth day the bread of two days. Abide ye every man in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day and the house of Israel called the name thereof manna. And it was like coriander seed white. And the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. And so the Bible gives us a description here of how the manna came about and the rules behind the gathering of gathering of it and the eating of it. And the Bible tells us in verse 14, first of all, that it was small and round. It gives us a description of what the manna looked like. In verse 31, the Bible says that it was white, like a coriander seed, white in color and tasted like wafers made with honey. That sounds good to me. It almost sounds like baklava minus the nuts as uh, something with honey, a wafer, something sweet, something satisfying. And not knowing what it is, the Israelites called it manna in verse 15, which means what is this? Uh, they had no idea what to call it. What is this thing that the Lord's given us? It's, it's angels food, it's bread. and uh, And so they ate it, a very wonderful thing. And J. Vernon McGee points out, uh, and I agree with him here, is that manna of a, manna of a course, is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is a very wonderful picture. It, as you look at the description of everything concerning the manna, it pictures Jesus Christ. But it also, as J. Vernon McGee points out, it also pictures the word of God, which reveals him. And I want you to consider the connection between the two. Both came down from heaven. Both are eternal. God's words will, will, will always exist, will not go away. Uh, the, the manna was as well. It was kept up uh, 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 pure, satisfying and sweet to the taste. So it, it, it pictures the Lord Jesus Christ perfectly, but also the word of God, which reveals him. And just as manna was provided for the physical nourishment of God's people, the Bible has been supplied to meet the spiritual need of God's people. But my question is, do we have an appetite for it? Again, the full soul loatheth and honeycomb. Do we maintain our appetite for God's manna for, for the honeycomb, because just like some, as we're going to see, as we've already saw in numbers twenty one, but we're going to see a little bit more. Uh, the people got to the point where they're like, <laughs> I don't want any more of that. And unfortunately, I, I think some Christians get to that point as well, is uh, their attitude towards the scriptures are that, Lord, I, I, I thank you for salvation. Uh, I thank you for the, the blessings I've enjoyed in my life, but I, I don't want any more. Uh, I, I, and they, they go out and they 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 get. Filled on other things and uh, things of this world. Uh, but we need to keep an appetite, a hunger for the scripture. Uh, looking back here at uh, chapter 16, the Israelites were given precise rules on the gathering of the man. I want you to note that they were hungry. They murmured, they complained for food. God provided it. But notice where he provided it. It didn't show up in the bread box. They just didn't. God just didn't say, well, just walk over to the bread box and there'll be bread, bread for you. No, God said in verse four, I want to prove them uh, th- to have them go out and gather it according to my rules. And they have to gather it daily according to their eating. And, of course, because of the Sabbath day was, uh, was holy, a day where work was not to be accomplished. On the sixth day, you can gather twice as much and, and have it. And, and to make that connection with the Bible, the, the man of the honeycomb, it's got to be gathered daily. God wants us to go to his word and gather daily that which we need. Uh, you, you can't just live off spiritually what you get here Sunday Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday night, if you attend all the services faithfully, that's not enough spiritual nourishment to get you through the week. You need to be in, in your Bible gathering uh, that which God has for you daily. Uh, likewise, uh, uh, it, it's best to gather early in the day. Notice this, if you look back to in chapter 16, verse 21, notice this, it says, and they gathered it every morning, every man according to his eating. And when the sun waxed hot, it melted. So you, you had to get the man in the morning. Because as the day progressed, the the sun rose and waxed hot, it melted, it went away. And as I thought about about that, I thought, you know, really the best time to get in God's word and to gather, for me anyway, I would think for you as well, is in the morning. Uh, In in, in the morning, my phone isn't dinging and buzzing and doing all kinds of crazy things. Uh, uh, There are other people in the house uh, coming to ask me questions and whatnot. It's a good time to be alone with the Lord Uh, And to be in his word. And I find that as the day wears on, uh, that opportunity to gather melts away. If I put off my Bible reading, my gathering till later in the day, I I, I would confess to you uh, many times it it just doesn't happen. Uh, Because the best time to gather is early, just as the manna. If they didn't gather it early, there was none to be had. And I, I don't know about you, but I find that in my spiritual life. I have to get it early. And also they gathered according to each man's eating. Uh, notice again in verse 18, and when they did meet it out with an omer, he that gathered much had nothing over. And he that gathered little had no lack. And they gathered every man according to his eating. I would submit to you this, uh, uh, this evening is that my gathering is probably different than your gathering. I, I was saved in 1995, 28 years ago. Uh, I, I should no longer be a spiritual babe in Christ. I, I should no longer be feeding on just the milk of God's word. But but delving into the deeper things, the, the meat of God's word. If you've been saved last, I would expect that your gathering is going to be different because you don't maybe understand as much. Can't can't handle uh, what I can handle at this point. Uh, but maybe you're but maybe you're especially gifted. You can. But I, I would submit to you that each of us our, our gathering is a little bit different. Uh, I, I typically read five chapters of the Bible every day because that's really where what I can handle to for my comprehension and consumption. If I go beyond that. Uh, I, I can say, well I read 15 chapters today, but really, what, what, did, I, what did I get hold of? What am I meditating uh, upon throughout the day? After five chapters, I, I, I'm kind of saturated because of the things I, I'm, where I'm reading and, and, and the thoughts I'm contemplating and the truths that I'm looking at. And so each of our gatherings is a little bit different, but, but we must gather just like the man. If, if they didn't go out and gather, there was nothing to eat. You you have to gather for the spiritual nourishment, because if you don't, that void is going to be filled by, by something else. So Psalm chapter one, uh, verses one and two says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But notice this. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Uh, he, he desires to be in God's word. He desires to be fed, to be filled now, he's, he's hungering after God's word, and we must maintain stoked that hunger, if you will, because if we don't, we're going to find ourselves in the first part of that verse. We're, we're going to fill that void with the things of this world, the world's philosophy, the world's thought, uh, the world's entertainment uh, will fill up uh, that, that void that you leave behind. And so we, we must uh, be diligent to maintain that appetite, to whet that appetite and feed on God's word. In fact, as we, uh, to continually feed on it, the Bible encourages us to hide it in our hearts. Psalm 119.11 Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Uh, when, when your body consumes bread, it stores that energy, if you will, away to be used later on for fit, for, for physical use. Uh, much the same way, when we store it up in our mind, uh, th- that nourishment is there for our time of need. Uh, when, when the devil comes along and, and tries us, or we face other trials in our life, That nourishment, that strengthening is there. If we don't lay it up, then it's not there. So therefore, we got to gather much as the children of Israel did. And we need to, and our appetite should grow over time. We ought to move on from the milk to the meat of God's word. But not only did they have to gather it, they had to to gather it precisely according to God's rules, God's way. And, And to me, that speaks of, you have to apply God's word by faith. And you have to be obedient to it. Notice what happens when they didn't do it God's way. Verse 20 says, Notwithstanding, okay, remember they they had to gather it and eat it that day. Don't lay it up for the next day except for on the Sabbath. But in verse 20, notice it says, Notwithstanding, they hearkened not unto Moses. But some of them left of it until the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was wroth with them. They disobeyed God's method for gathering and and, and consuming of the manna, if you will. Uh, And why did they do that? Well, Well, on the surface, it's just simple disobedience. It seems very clear, very simple to me. Just get what you need today. And then tomorrow I'll provide again. But to do that, they had to trust God, that trust that God would provide day by day. They had to accept it by faith. And some of them, no doubt, uh, not only they just disobedient, but they probably lacked faith. Well, if I don't get enough, what if God doesn't bring it tomorrow? I'll be hungry again. And so they gathered more. But when they did that, it bred worms in because it was against the way that God wanted them to do that. They didn't apply it correctly. They weren't obedient. Uh, the same happened again on the Sabbath day as they collected it, it said, uh, verse 26, six days, you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath in it, there shall be none uh, verse 27. It came to pass that there went out some of the people on the seventh day for to gather and they found none. Well, no doubt, because God said, Hey, on the sixth day, I'm going to give you twice as much. Don't go out on the Sabbath day. Stay in your dwelling, rest, eat that, which I provided, but they disobeyed once again. Why? Well, they were disobedient, but they lacked faith. I think many times you and I, not only are we disobedient to God's word. We lack faith in applying it to our life that we might profit, that we might benefit from it. And so we are much like them. Uh, As I read this many times, I said, well, how hard can this be? You people, (laughs) you know, gather every day Uh, on the sixth day. You just gather twice. But I wasn't in their shoes. I I wasn't once uh, uh, hungering uh, for food in that situation where my faith might be tested. But you and I, if we're going to benefit, must gather it daily. And we must gather, we must apply it by faith. We must be obedient to God's word. And I'd just like to share a couple of things with you to help you with that. Uh, first of all, Hebrews eleven six says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. If you're going to do anything for God, if God's going to be pleased by anything in your life, it's going to have to be done by faith. Because for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Uh, our faith in, in God providing for us, God meeting our needs, is what glorifies, what pleases him. And we have to do it his way. Proverbs twenty two seven says this. Uh, sure, a specific instance for our life where my family, my wife and I, especially, were disobedient to God's word and, and, and the result thereof. But Proverbs twenty two seven says, "The rich r- ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender." Now, what that verse is speaking to of there is, don't take on debt because when you when you take on debt, you become a servant to the guy that you borrowed it from. All right, uh, if you have a mortgage tonight, and, and I I know uh, I've heard a uh, uh, many of us, you know, we go to buy a house. We don't have 400 grand. You know, just sit in the bank and we pay for it. And, and so most times I heard, you know, there are some acceptable situations where, all right, you might have to borrow because you just don't have that money. But the the, the general rule is, don't don't borrow any. Don't don't be in debt to anybody, all right? Because then they're going to have power over you. Uh, and if you can't pay, they're going to re- repossess and uh, you're going to be in trouble. And, and so that principle, uh, don't take on debt. The rich the rich ruleth over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender. Me and my wife. Uh, 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 learned uh, the hard way, uh, though we already knew that. Uh, God blessed us early in our marriage. Uh, uh, we were in Hawaii; uh, that was our first uh, active duty assignment. It was in Hawaii, and uh, uh, we, uh, we we applied. We wanted to get one of those plastic things. You know, you can go in and you know just charge stuff at will. But God denied that for like three years. We, we it's because we had no credit. We, we married very young, and uh, we didn't have any track record. And the bank said, Hey, I ain't give you one of those because you go be nuts and go out and run that thing up. And God blessed us. We didn't get a credit card. And at the same time, our church taught us some biblical principles on, on handling finances. And so we knew all about this verse. And, and, and so we, we were, what I would think, was disciplined. But then an interesting thing happened uh, in the mid to late 90s. Uh, uh, from that period of the mid, mid 90s to the late 90s, we were stationed in San Antonio. And then we came down to orders to go to Germany. And uh, uh, during that time, we had been saving up to buy a, a brand new bedroom set and some other things. And we weren't quite there. But we said to one another... We're going to Germany and we're not going to be able to find a bedroom set in Germany. I and mean, that's like, that's a foreign land. we ain't going to find it there. we got to get it now. And, and by then we have the credit card. So we got that. And you know what happens when, when you start swiping that thing at will? I mean, it's easy to attack on a few other things that we, we hadn't planned on. But we was like, well, we're going to Germany. Let's you know get this, that and the other. And, and so we ran up a bit of a debt. And I will tell you, it took us seven years to pay off the debt on that credit card with the interest Uh, It wasn't a great interest rate uh, with the interest and everything. And I would tell you that that decision bred worms and stank. Uh, I I prayed for that bedroom set probably four or five times over what it was worth. I should have just stuck to God's principle, been obedient to his word. Just like here, they were they were disobedient and it bred worms and stank. Many times you and I as well, were disobedient to God's word and we, we don't get the result that we desire when we go against God's word. And so God encourages us. Be faithful, be obedient. Uh, I I like to share with you the the verse that comes right before Proverbs 22, seven, Proverbs 22, six. Most of you probably know this, but it says train up a child in the way that he should in in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Uh, As I mentioned this morning, I just completed Bible school not too long ago. And it was interesting to me uh, when we were I forget what class it was, what we were talking about. But this verse came up and uh, the instructor uh, asked the students, do you think this verse is a. Uh, conditional promise of god and like the majority of the, the people in that class said no that's not a promise of god <laughs> I, again i'm a simple guy as i read it to me it seems like conditional if you train up a child in the way he should go then when he is old he will not depart from it it's a, it's a promise of god on uh, rearing your children it's, it was one of the ones that encouraged me very early, early on uh, I, I was just like you i had no children uh, yes my parents raised me uh, but i didn't know how to raise a child uh, I, I didn't have a a, a father figure uh, uh, as far as, you know, one, one that uh, uh, raised us according to God's word to go on. So I had to go to God's word. And this is one of the verses that encouraged me, that, 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 uh, that I, I, I pinned the, the training of our children on, that if we were faithful in this regard, because when you get saved, you want everybody else around you to get saved. I want my children to be saved. I want them to serve the Lord. And so I took this verse as a promise and said, well, God said that if I train up my children the way to should go, when they're old, they're not to from it. I took it as a promise, but apparently some people don't. Mainly probably because they don't have faith that God will do it or, or they, they don't want to do the things that God, as you read through the rest of the scriptures that, that's involved in turning a child, they don't want to do those things. And so they don't want to claim it as a promise, so they won't call God a, God a liar. And so they're like, well, I'm not going to do all that God says and it's probably not going to work out. So, yeah, that's not a promise. But but if you do the things God says and, and, and don't get me wrong, I I've I made a lot of mistakes. You, you could sit Zachary and Corinne down and they could you know, probably go through a whole list of mistakes that dad made in raising us. But again, I, I never raised a child before. And uh, but but this verse, my wife and I pinned the training of our children upon because we took it as a promise of God. And I will tell you that it was not easy. As many of you are finding out, it's not easy to raise children uh, to serve the Lord. Uh, You know that 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 desire to serve God and for God's word, uh, uh, they must develop that themselves. I mean, you can do all you can to to try to help them. Uh, What my wife and I uh, said, uh, one of the main things you need to do, other than applying. Uh, the principle of God, principles of God's word when it comes to raising a child to them, but you have to win their heart. Uh, you have to win their heart, uh, and, and I think that's uh, what we did with our children. But but it wasn't easy going. But this verse isn't something that you try; it's something that you do. Uh, don't get me wrong. There were times uh, when my children got to be teenagers, I questioned: uh, Is this working? Is it going to work? But God encouraged me. Continue on, Corey. Continue training, training them up in the way they should go. And when they're old, they'll not depart from it. And lo and behold, my children aren't perfect, but they love the Lord and they're serving the Lord. And I thank God for that. And why was that? Because I took this verse as a promise and by faith applied it. I'm not going to say as best as I can. I'm sure I could have did it much better. But I try to be faithful to that verse and I took it as a promise and God rewarded, God blessed in that so are we obediently applying god's word in all areas of uh, uh, by faith and obedience to all areas of our life? if we want to profit we must we must do it in numbers eleven uh, uh, numbers chapter eleven let's uh move over there see my time is quickly uh getting away from me but numbers chapter eleven we'll kind of see what happens when when you, when you when you get to that point that proverbs twenty seven seven is saying and, and what uh we saw in uh, uh Numbers twenty one five. When you get to that point, we say, God, uh, I'm full and I want no more. There's a danger there. And notice what happened. Uh, Numbers chapter eleven. We'll look at these verses. Uh, let's start reading in verse one. And It says, And when the people complained, it displeased the Lord and the Lord heard it. And his anger was kindled and the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. Again, they, they were uh, not not walking by faith. And the people cried unto Moses, and when Moses prayed unto the Lord, the fire was quenched, and he called the name of the place Taberah, because the, the fire of the Lord burnt among them. Notice what happens next in verse four. And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting. And then, notice, so, so there was a mixed multitude, that, which is always a danger. But notice how it affected the entire congregation. It says, and in the, the children of Israel also wept again and said, "Who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish." which we did, in e- did, did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our soul is dried away. There's nothing at all beside this, beside this manna before our eyes. And the manna was as coriander seed, and the color there was as the color of bdellium which I guess is white. And the people went about and gathered it and ground it in mills or beat it in a mortar and baked it in pans and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was as the taste of fresh oil. And when the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna, fell upon it uh, they got to the point where they, they no longer wanted the manna. The, the good thing that god had provided them they wanted the things of the world almost every time that you read about egypt in the bible it's a picture of the world and that's where they were looking oh we remember the fish and the cucumbers and the the leeks the garlic and and all that good stuff that was in egypt and they forgot all about the bondage they were slaves there and god delivered them and god provided something good for them and they said, hey, we, we, won't, we, we, we don't want any more of it. Our soul is dried away because we have nothing besides this manna before our eyes. They didn't desire what God had. They said, hey, God, I am full. What they were now desiring, they desired that which they had enjoyed in Egypt. They desired the things of the world. And when we stop feeding on God's word, that's what's going to happen. Again, that void is going to be filled with something. You have a hunger and you're going to fill it with something. Entertainment, the things of this world, the thoughts of this world, the philosophy of this world but you 're not going to be blessed you're not going to profit because the Word of God has what you need spiritually you need to be in the, the, the in the Bible because Egypt is a picture of the world they, they lost their appetite we, we need we need to be careful not to let their our, our appetite diminish we need to need not to feed the flesh but feed the spirit uh, let me turn very quickly if you will to Hebrews chapter five Hebrews chapter five uh, verses twelve through fourteen notice what the bible says here it says for when the when the for when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are full of uh, full age, even those who by reason of use have their their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Well, you and I ought to be hungering, feeding on God's word, moving from that that milk to that strong spiritual meat. Warren Wiersbe makes an interesting observation here. Uh, looking at the uh, verse uh, uh, eight uh, numbers, uh, chapter 11, verse eight. Notice what it said against that. And the people went about and gathered it, which they were supposed to do. But notice what they did. It says and ground it in mills or beat it in a mortar and then baked it in pans and made cakes of it. But the, the, the idea of grounding it in mills and beating it a mortar it didn't seem unusual to me. But as I as I looked at some of his thoughts, he said he made the following comment. He says, in, I don't know uh, uh, to me, it seems like it has some application here. It says they would do anything to make God's bread taste like the food of Egypt. But the problem was their appetite and not God's bread. They, they had a problem with the appetite. They, they were desiring the things of the world. When the Jews tried to improve upon the manna by grinding it and beating it in a mortar, they made it taste like oil. Cause you remember what it tasted like back in uh, Exodus 16. Remember what the Bible said wafers made with honey, but here now it tastes like oil. Uh, to me, it seems like two very different things. Uh, They they, they desire something else. And we find that today pastors warn against that Churches divorcing themselves from the from the Bible, from God's word. Why? Because they want a different message. Uh, They they, they don't want this anymore. They want they they want Christianity to be to be all inclusive. But Christianity has always been exclusive. All right. Uh, As Jesus said in John 14, six, for I am the way, the truth and the life. No man comes to the father, but by me. That's very exclusive. it, It excludes just those who have trusted Christ as their savior. But here they, they desire something else. And there's a danger again. When we get to that point where, where we say, Lord, I'm full. I, I don't want anymore," more. And we start to loathe that good thing that he has for us. And so I sound the warning to you, to, 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 to you tonight. Be careful. Let not the contempt which some cast in the word of God make its make it it value less to us. It is the bread of life, substantial bread, and will nourish those who by faith feed upon it. And may God give us an appetite, a real hunger for his word. Uh, Again, uh, I wasn't preparing this as a a New Year's message, but I think upon as we depart from 2023 to 2024, maybe we have a real hunger for God's word. Uh, Perhaps you're here tonight or you're listening on Zoom and you're on the other part of that verse in, in Proverbs 27, 7. Your soul is hungry and you're finding that every bitter thing is sweet. Oh, I implore you to come to the honeycomb and taste of the good things God has for you, the salvation that he wants to provide to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, I do thank you, Father, for this day, Lord. Uh, again, I thank you, Father, for the, the privilege to stand in this pulpit, Lord God, uh, uh, in the absence of our pastor, Lord. Uh, Father, I pray, Lord God, Father, that uh, we, we be able to take the spiritual truths that uh, we looked at here tonight, Lord God, and make application, Lord. Oh, Father, I pray, Lord God, you give us a, a great hunger, Father, for your word. Father, give me a great hunger, Father, for it, Lord God. Uh, Father, to, uh, to memorize it, to meditate upon it, to, uh, to obey it, to apply it by faith, Lord God. Father, that I might profit, that I might please and glorify you. And Father, I do pray if there be anyone here in this room, Lord God, or listening on Zoom that does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Oh, Father, I pray that they would come tonight. And let us take your word, the man of the honeycomb, and show them how they can know that their sins are forgiven. One day heaven will be their home. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I ask you to stand to your feet. We'll have a time of invitation and as the piano plays. As you come, I'll meet you down front if you have any needs.